lectionary reading for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18 through chapter 19, verse 42. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley to a place where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a detachment of soldiers together with police from the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that was to happen to him, came forward and asked them, Whom are you looking for? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus replied to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, whom are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you are looking for me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. I did not lose a single one of those whom you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his right ear. The slave's name was Malchus. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. Am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First they took him to Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. This woman said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warning, warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Ananias sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. 
Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it. And at that moment, the cock crowed. Then they took Jesus from Caiaphas to Pilate's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the headquarters so as to avoid ritual defilement and to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews replied, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill what Jesus had said when he indicated the kind of death he was to die. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no case against him, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? And they shouted in reply, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a bandit. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you. So let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Now when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. When Pilate heard these words, 
he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabartha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. And then he handed him over then to be crucified. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. This was to fulfill what the scriptures said. They divided my clothes among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfill the scriptures, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath especially because that Sabbath was a great day of solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, though a secret one because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and removed his body. Nicodemus, who had at first come to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, weighing about a hundred pounds. 
They took the body of Jesus and wrapped it with the spices and linen cloths, according to the burial custom of the Jews. Now there was a garden in the place where he was crucified, and in the garden there was a new tomb in which no one had ever laid. And so because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know about the rest of you, but I am getting a little tired of staying at home. I, I understand that it is important and necessary, but I'm trying to be honest. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Not doing so would be not honoring of God and neighbor, but as quite possibly the most extroverted person you may know, I am going a little mad. I'm not always sure what day it is when I wake up. Was there a time that you've ever felt like that before all of this started? I have. It was in college when I would stay up all night writing papers that I could have done in the weeks prior, but didn't. See, some of these papers for my Bible exegesis. See, an exegesis is when you break down a text and you go into its context and you take a look at it from multiple contexts and sources. In fact, we do that all the time in our sermons. And so I'm going to do a little bit of exegesis for you now, but it won't take all night. I promise. Did you know that John's gospel the one that we just read from, has what's called a universal lens. In contrary, Matthew's gospel is written to the Jewish people as their audience. John's gospel broadens the scope of who engages with the narrative of Jesus. And it's important to know something like this because we, when we read through the Bible, often assume that these crucifixion stories are the same. But the reality is that they're not. Every gospel author has a different perspective on Jesus's trial, crucifixion, and death. This difference in perspective causes some people to try and blend the stories into one big story. Uh, if you were uh, going to watch that, that would be happening uh, on like a movie, like The Passion of the Christ. Uh, the Passion refers to the, the death and the resurrection and the trial of Jesus. John's gospel offers us an opportunity to look a little bit deeper at some of the characters in this passage. Now, the first character is actually a group, the people of God. The Israelites, and in particular, the leader of the Israelites in the passage you read today, they say a thing that you might have missed. Pilate asks the Israelites what they want him to do with their king. And they respond strangely. We have no king but the emperor. Now, during this particular time in history, Israel is under Roman occupation. While they're allowed to practice their religion, they are subject to the whims and laws of the state. 
Now, in this state, Roman emperors get to make declarations, such as their own claim to power and even divinity. So, the Israelites should take issue with this, since God is their ruler. However, it's interesting that they don't seem to have an issue with this, considering just a week ago on Sunday, they were declaring Hosanna to the son of David when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, expecting him to free them from Roman rule. How strange that the desired outcomes of these people are staunchly opposed to their actions. The second character is Peter, the rock upon which Jesus claimed the church would be built. uh, Peter sets out to protect Jesus, cuts off the ear of someone in the garden when Jesus is arrested. But then he buckles. He heads into Jerusalem proper. He's asked three times, aren't you the one who was hanging out with Jesus? And each time he denies it. Many of you know this story. If you haven't, and you heard it tonight. Imagine with me, how must Peter have felt? He had just done the thing that he swore to Jesus, his Messiah, that he would never do. How odd that dire circumstances seem to bring out the worst in him and make him turn his back on Jesus. The third character is is the disciple whom Jesus loved, which tradition often labels as John. In the midst of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus looks at John and at Mary, his own mother, and bestows them with the status of family as son and mother. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a very sweet gesture that Jesus would, you know, let them be together. But that's, uh, that's a different sermon. This is going to talk a little bit about something historical that happens in Roman culture. It's called the pater familia. If you did not have a family, then you didn't have an identity. See, the pater familia was this uh, basically hierarchy of the male and the leader of the house would take care of everybody else. Make sure that everybody had resources. Make sure that everybody was doing what they were supposed to be doing and providing all kinds of things, including shelter for them. Now, and this also was a culture where they didn't have a Roe McDonald's down the road. You couldn't just walk over and pick up some food and bring it back home so that everyone could eat around the table. You had to prepare everything well in advance. So this culture of making sure that everyone had resources and that the family was working together was just deeply embedded in Roman culture. It was a full day's trip just to go to the grocery store or the market to go and trade your goods. So, in actuality, Jesus is giving John the responsibility of caring for his mother's needs since Jesus won't be able to do it anymore. How difficult that in the midst of John's pain, he suddenly has to take on a significant challenge and an unexpected person for whom to care. 
Over the past few months, all of our lives have changed drastically out of necessity. So I'm curious if while I was telling these stories of these characters in this narrative, if you nodded along when you heard their description. See, we are God's people. And God's people don't exactly have the greatest track record with keeping the covenant that they made to God. I wonder if during this time, you've seen some of your own convictions and behaviors at war with each other. It's tempting to abandon patience when your child had asked you for a snack for the 584th time today. It's tempting to push loved ones aside in favor of making sure that you get something you think you deserve or want. It's tempting when you've been expecting something to change and then it doesn't, that you blow up when things don't go your way. I wonder where you've seen your own spiritual convictions challenged. Like Peter, we may be tempted to avoid or deny God during this time because of the pain that God seems to have caused. We ask, why, God? Why would you let something like this happen? We, what's the worth of acknowledging God right now? Would that even do any good? We question whether or not our spiritual development is even worth it for having a hard time connecting with God in the first place. And we aren't even allowed to set foot within our own church building. Maybe for some of us, God seems powerless during this time. Or like John, maybe you've taken on the responsibility for someone that you have not at all been ready for, caring for an aging parent, staying at home with a spouse who's immunocompromised, suddenly becoming a homeschool teacher, or just trying not to get on your siblings' nerves. These unexpected turns in life are daunting. Today, we're leaning into the difficulty of being in a world where Christ has died and not yet risen. And we, we know this, but, but imagining what the disciples must have felt in their heart of hearts during that Friday and that Saturday, not knowing what's coming next, kind of feels like right now, doesn't it? The world is plagued not only with the disease, but with uncertainty. I wonder if in the midst of this crisis, if we're not sure when Sunday is going to come, when will we be able to join as a church again? When will we go back to school? When will our convictions and our actions line up again? Why can't everything just go back to the way that it was? I imagine the disciples asked similar questions about Jesus. But they had forgotten that he said he would return in three days. And their uncertainty about what's next parallels our own. We do not know when all of this will be over. And in the midst of waiting, we have these new challenges that we need to face. The tension between our hope and our present reality it's palpable. May I suggest that this tension is going to last a little longer. Just as the disciples sat in their locked houses, 
awaiting news that it was safe for them to go out once more, we do the same. And it isn't until someone brings us good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we will be able to do so. So what do we do in the meantime? Take 10 minutes, 10 minutes at least, each day. Evaluate your relationship with the God who sits in our living rooms with us. Confront your own inconsistencies and take responsibility. Consider the ways in which you've been turning your back on God. Thank the Holy Spirit for the gift of presence with those who need us. And then end your time of reflection by reminding yourself of the one thing that does give us hope. One day soon, it will be Sunday again. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He chose to walk that road out of his love.
want to give a word of blessing to each and every one of you who sits in your homes watching through the screen so that you can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ is that today it is Friday and we do not know how long this will last. But Sunday is on its way. Take hope. Hold it tight and do not let it go. We'll see you on Easter Sunday.